Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Everybody gets mail and everybody throws it away, right? Because it's all garbage. But if they got something in the mail that was just like aesthetically pleasing, way different than what they're used to seeing, and it wasn't about a used car sale on Sunday at your local dealership, that they would look at it, they would open it, especially in a B2B environment. What do brands like Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, Final Proteins, and Blendjet all have in common? They're all seeing 20x ROI from retention.com. Visit retention.com to book a demo today. Today, I'm with one of the biggest rebels in sales out there, Rebel Dale. I'm excited to chat about sales. I know this is a marketing podcast, but all marketers should know sales and all sales should know marketing. So this is a good topic to talk about. I want to go into first your background. How did you get into sales? My sales career starts very non-traditionally. And really, you could actually trace it back to my origins as a child and like wandering my dad's halls at his business and learning vicariously through like sitting close to the guys and girls that were in the sales department as a kid and like listening to their conversations with people and like eavesdropping. And then really uh, music is where it all started for me. So I was 17. I uh, did my first tour around the United States and then got signed to a record label you know, through my actions came rewards kind of thing. Went from an indie label to a major label and people think like, oh, well, that's entertainment and music. But really every single night when you're the front man of a band and also when you're just like in a group of musicians trying to sell your sound to a bunch of random people at a bar in the middle of like New Orleans, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very sales related and, and that comes down to like community building or the type of communication that you have with people so like meeting folks where they are not being too overbearing or pushy but ultimately influencing a group of kids that are all standing in a circle not watching you play to like release the locked arms and turn around and pay attention so sales really begins for me in a very kind of non-traditional space in regards to where people would get there their first taste of the sales world from that perspective, but it, that led to copy machine sales. So I went from the most like cool job on the face of the earth, you know, playing in a band, touring everywhere and living the life to literally knocking on people's doors and trying to move boxes that print paper out of them. I did that for 13 years <laughs> and, and I was pretty successful with it. Uh, you know, and that led to ultimately starting the sales rebellion you know, and creating what I have today over the last four years. You have been preaching about creativity in sales. A lot of salespeople think that sales is a formula that you could plug in A plus B and the sale will happen. So I want to go into what does creativity in sales means first and then how to think about creativity in, in sales. So I, I believe in the science portion of sales in a way. And that I do believe that if I can create a formula that fits me, 
and I do it strategically and intentionally, and then I do it consistently, that there will be an out- outcome. But listen, like humans are, uh, they're not one to be pressured into your formula. Humans are not some kind of entity that just bow down to you when you pick up the phone and dial them just because you called. You know, they're free thinkers. And so the art of sales, I believe, is the most important piece. And that's where creativity comes in, is that creativity is really about causing undeniable curiosity in people or insight, you know, into emotional context. So maybe it's not necessarily something that I like or that I I would typically subscribe to, but what I see stirs the pot emotionally and creates some type of context for me, good or bad, never indifferent. Because if I'm indifferent as a sales rep, I'll never be known and I'll be easily forgotten. And between those two pieces of of the ingredients, really, it's about kind of the performance ultimately. And and we talked about entertainment a little bit earlier. And you know, so every night when I got on stage, I had to like read the room and go well, these kids are going to sing along. These kids over here look like they want to fight us. (laughs) These ones over here are paying no attention. These guys are drunk. They don't even know where they are. And I had to basically entertain all these different groups of people. So music is a really like it's an abstract format to be able to be creative in. And because of that, I recognize like, well, there's certain things that I can say that will get everyone's attention. As an example, there's certain things that I can do that might... They, they might be favored by one group over the other, but no matter what, everybody's going to be talking about it. And so I had to experiment with that, play with that. And then ultimately in my sales career, I had to figure out what kind of experience am I giving people? But I think the problem is, is that most sales folks, they don't think about that. They say that's for the marketing department or, you know, that's for the process of, you know, the demo or, you know, product analysis or whatever the case may be, right? They don't really look at that as their job necessarily. They, you say the word give somebody or the phrase give somebody an experience and the salesperson just basically turns into a fat moldy lump, you know, in the moment, like lifeless and just like <laughs> this thing that doesn't operate or do any good for anybody. And that's the problem it, because the formula concept, salespeople think that, oh, well, if I just do A, B, and C, then I'll get a result. Well, yeah, you'll get a result for sure, but it's going to be like 10% of the actual result you could be getting if you use creative methodology and turned your sales into an art. I like that you said about how you read a room, and I heard something yesterday. Someone was talking to me the other day and talking about how comedians are probably one of the best marketers because once they read the room and also to they culturally understand the audience they understand how to evoke emotion about with all these different people but i want to go into the part of how how can sales leaders align an incentives so that salespeople can be creative because i think a lot of the times that the reason why salespeople do bad sales tactics or do formulate things is because they have to hit a target, whether it's like a call target or an email target, or they have to hit a a target and it's not aligned to the experience of what that brand wants to give full funnel from marketing, sales, customer experience, all that. So how do you line it incentives? Dude, it's such a good question. I think ultimately bullpens can gamify things a lot more effectively than they currently do. 
Because even if you were to say, we need the people in here to do 50 calls a day, which I can't stand. But if that's, you know, ultimately what you need to do, if I'm, if I'm gamifying that in a way where like in the 50 calls, there are things like, if you can make 10 people laugh, we're going to give you a hundred points. Or if you can invoke a smile, you know, like, and you can hear it through the phone out of somebody before they hang up, right? Not interested, but at the end, if you can at least get them to smile, or something, you know, that again, creates a trigger moment and ultimately instills in the person that's listening, the prospect that they're important to some capacity. If we were to put more of an emphasis on the people that we seek to serve and less on the bullpen itself, those things would change. Right. But those are simple examples, right? Ultimately, you could also do things like, let's just say direct mail. It's a really good application. Nobody uses it. And when people do, they send a Starbucks gift card or a T1 of flats gift card if you're in Florida. And the thing is, is that those things suck unless you're James Carberry. He loves Tijuana Flats. So send him a Tijuana Flats card and he'll take a meeting with you. But but even then, like, <laughs> he'll take a meeting with you out of sympathy. Like, why would we be getting sympathy meetings from people through these creative methodologies? So let's just say that a sales manager says like, hey, we're going to use direct mail. And, and one of your metrics is I want you to send 10, let's just say crumpled letters. It's a very popular thing inside of the, the rebellion. We have what we call the rebel letter campaign. We send these themed letters that are basically like the letters trash because it's sales, right? Or marketing. <laughs> and so it's, you either reuse it as a coffee coaster or you light it on fire or, you know, it's travel. It's got stamps all over it because it gets ignored because you're busy and you don't want to read it. So it's traveled all over the world to try and find you. But there's lots of different themes to the but ultimately, like if we give the reps like one idea, like let's do 10 letters a week. Let's set up this crumpled letter that says, you're probably wondering why this is crumpled up. Well, 90% of the sales and marketing to get is trash. And so I pre-crumpled it to make it easier for you to throw away because I value your time. And if I can check that off the box, like, cool, I did my 10. And then I do my 50 calls and 10 of them are to those people. <laughs> I guarantee you when you get those folks on the phone, just from experience, you know, for 13 years of doing it and also from you know, training reps all over the world, the outcomes are different. And that's where you can start to really gauge the metric side and saying, oh, okay, cool. So here's an email that a rep just got that says, this is the most amazing cold call I've ever got in my life. Right. So like there's that's he's the goat in the bullpen now or she around the metric that's like, get an email back that says, this is the best marketing or sales call I've ever gotten in my entire life. And we'll give you a thousand points. You know, like these are things that are very tangible and that can ultimately be achieved, but they're also very basic, like, cause we can't get past the fact that creativity is, should be a natural thing inside of B2B. But the problem is, is like, we think, nah, this is, it's business. So we can't do that. And there's, so there's a roadblock there. And like, when I say that this are, these are basic things, bro, I mean it. These are basic things. Like they're, they're very basic. Creativity goes so much deeper and wider and can have, it's like a waterfall, bro. Ultimately, like the return on it as well too. So the problem is, is that most people won't even do the things that I just said, the very basic things. And that's the biggest issue. But the more that we find people that are willing to culture it, right the better and that's really what we look for at the rebellion is we're just we're just trying to get the attention of the people out there like man i just want to do it different i want to have more fun i want to create experiences for my prospects i want to build a community and a legacy and not just transact a sale 
I want to also go deeper into this creative methodology. If you were pitching it to me right now, how would you break it down and say like a couple of steps of what the creative method methodology is? So a couple of things. One is I would say like, what kind of medium can we use as non-traditional? So even if it's just like video, right? And we're in a space where video is not used in regards to salespeople using it for prospecting, then we lean in there. The number one way that we pitch it is direct mail. Everybody gets mail and everybody throws it away, right? Because it's all garbage. But if they got something in the mail that was just like aesthetically pleasing, way different than what they're used to seeing, and it wasn't about a used car sale on Sunday at your local dealership, that they would look at it, they would open it, especially in a B2B environment. Like for example, if I shipped an Amazon box, you know, my wife gets plenty of them. Most of you out there get them every day. I repurpose that and use it to send a letter, right? Not even something big, just like a piece of paper. It's getting opened. And ultimately, it's interrupting the typical pattern of what people are used to. And nobody's expecting what's inside of these things either, right? So even if I have a crumpled letter, as an example, and I see the envelope and it says like a big red font, crumpled letter inside with an arrow pointing, like, what's this? If I like, just a little bit of curiosity, right? Ultimately is what I'm trying to create through the medium. So even with video, it's got to be the same concept. So I can hold up a sign with your name, which is what people do, or I can use like an image has the preview image of me, like jumping off of a cliff, you know, with my hands out and the bottom of my body is like a bird and I'm flying and, and, and there's some text that says, are you ready for takeoff with question mark? And and, and I just literally made that up sitting right here with you. But the point is, is that if I theme it around something specific to the message, the thing I fix, the curiosity that would drive somebody to say, this is relevant to me or familiar to a conversation that I would like to have, they're going to open it. They're going to look at it. They're going to click on that thing. So if I can use that emotional context concept, if I can drive curiosity through the medium that's non-traditional, then I, I have like my starting blocks. And then it's, you know, do you, if it's direct mail, for example, it's, do you want to send letters or do you want to send unwritten books that your prospects are telling, like the stories they want to achieve? Are you sending wallets because people aren't getting back to you to close the deal with a message that's like, hey, I think you lost this. It's why I haven't heard from you, you know, with a punch card of your company meetings and punch one more and you get my product, you know, with your contract that you sign. <laughs> you know, like something fun, entertaining, engaging, experiential. But ultimately, again, that goes with, from a medium standpoint, that goes against the grain of what people are typically used to. And then when it comes to the product itself, that like we're DIYing or even building out, right? Because that's what we do with the Rebellion. We make these tools and we make them to where they're very scalable. And the thing is, though, is that like creativity is not scalable. Like, let's just face it. So we have come up with a formula that makes it easy to replicate. But at the end of the day, it's hard. And so you have, you have to lean into this, but it'll reward you in ways you didn't know possible. When I was selling copy machines, I was making over half a million dollars a year in commission on my best year because I was doing crap like this. And, and like the OTE in that industry is like a buck 50, right? So I was like, define the odds on levels that like rep view would shit their pants if they saw, you know, my numbers, right? So, so it, again, like it just comes down to like, what is your commitment level? And are you willing to risk and dare mighty things in the way that you you do cold outreach and how it entertains and gives your buyer an experience? 
So that's kind of it in a nutshell from mindset to medium to, you know, essentials, uh, you know, how I would pitch a guy like Daniel Murray. <laughs> One thing that is very interesting, which is exactly the same as marketing is the first thing you have to do in marketing is get attention. That's the game. So the first thing you have to do with even this direct mail approach is get them their attention that they have enough to open the direct mail. So you're doing that with what you're doing. And then once you've got the attention, then you go into the next tactic, which is, can I write good enough copy that is interesting enough to get someone to either respond back to this? So the first goal, like people don't think of it as goals. Like the first goal is, hey, could I get someone to even give me 10, two minutes of that time? The second goal is, do I have a great enough pitch or a great enough copy to make them want to stay for that two minutes that I've got their attention now. Enough. One thing I also want to go into is you have be talking about a lot of creative messaging. It's like, how much do you partner with marketing on these tactics versus doing them by yourself? No matter what you always, if you have marketing inside of your organization, as an example, you always bring them in. They speak a language that in most cases, salespeople don't. Now, I, I believed that I was a marketer as a salesperson, so but I'm a unicorn in that sense. Like There's not a lot of me out there. So if you're hearing this and you're in sales and you think, yeah, I mean, like I understand marketing. I like marketing. Well, the first question is, is like, do you though? And are you really understanding of the basic principles and psychology of marketing and how they're different from sales ultimately so that you can understand why those two departments battle so much at the end of the day, right? Because if you really understand marketing, then you'll understand that you actually most likely need support. So even me as a marketer, I still outsource this stuff, right? So all my ideas came to me naturally. I sat down with prototypes and basically DIY'd some stuff, cut some things out, put some you know red paint on a on a sponge and made it look like a brick and showed people and said, hey, this is my idea this is the message I'd like to curate. How can you help me? And basically, you know, found some marketers early on in my career that were extremely expensive and so worth every dollar because the return on the way that a marketer knows how to communicate to people, a good one, is worth every dime. <laughs> because ultimately, if a marketer can also look at what a sales professional is trying to accomplish from a marketing standpoint, and it's this different, right? In the way that we're discussing it, the marketer will see things that opportunities for themselves, I should say, that they don't normally get. Because most people go to a marketer and they say, hi, I would like a website and I'd like it to look just like these other three websites. Instead of like, hi, I'd like to make a foam brick that people are going to throw at their copy machines and a comic book strip with random celebrities that are of a different ethnicity hiding, you know, inside of my comic book strip to make people th be like, was that Mexican Donald Trump? Is that what I just saw? And, and I'd like for you to make that for me so I can cold call companies to sell them a copy machine. The marketer on the other side of that's going to be like, this is my dream. Like, where have you been all my life? And it's really like that influence and ultimately that kind of excitement that creates better outcomes around these things. So I, I personally believe that all salespeople should involve marketing because of it. And because ultimately it's a big strategy, you as a salesperson need to be thinking, how do I curate better conversations? How do I build an artful or an art-minded and creative system 
around the process that a marketer is building for me because I have to nuance this experience. I can't give a crumpled letter or a copy or repair brick and and then show up to the meeting with my suit and tie, throw my site seller down and sell, sell, sell with a bunch of brochures. I have to nuance the entire experience. And so I, as a, as a salesperson, I have to figure out like, well, the marketer can't come to that meeting. So how am I going to communicate effectively? Where do I need to start honing my skills in those areas as well too? And those are the places like when you can lean into like things that you do really well as a salesperson. And those are things that salespeople should naturally be able to, to do and also should gravitate toward in regards to their personal development. That's time well spent as opposed to trying to figure out how to do graphic design to make all this stuff look good. That's a waste of a salesperson's time ultimately when there are people out there that can do it. So I believe in a marriage between the two. And I, I believe that salespeople have to be more dependent on marketing departments if they really want to be as successful as they say they want to. Why do you think a lot of sales organizations have like stuck to this? I feel like most sales organizations have a copy and paste of another sales organization. Why do you think there's a copy paste or do you think that the best sales has gone unnoticed that I'm just noticing all the bad sales out there? This is a loaded question, not because it's bad, right? But because like this, this is something that ultimately a lot of people are afraid to answer because of the truth of it. The truth is, is that old school sales is about power and control. And so if I can put 50 sales reps in a room and make them bang these phones, people will have a need on the other end. And at some point I'll speak to somebody. And if my competition is very similar to me, right? Like you just talked about, very copy paste. So if my competition is also two companies that are banging the phone, as they like to say, I love that term because it's so weird, right? Let's bang the phone. It's very gross. So if I am up against other people banging the phone and replicating the same kind of sales system as me, we're all going to kind of just get lucky, as they like to say. I'm not one to believe in luck, right? Ultimately, I believe in intentional action. So here I am, doing it different than everybody else and want to know what happened, bro, in the early stages, I got told to stop. You want to know why? Because when a company sees a sales rep doing the things I was doing, they start saying, ooh, he could start his own business. He could take our clients with him. He has control over these people and they're not as loyal to the company as they are to him. And that's a huge red flag for organizations. And I think it's the dumbest red flag that exists in the world today. Because ultimately, if I want to build a powerful business, I need to give people the opportunity to go out and be everything that they desire to be from a success standpoint, and then some. So if I would have been empowered more, bro, I probably would have been, I'd probably still be at my company, to be quite frank with you. Um, but because there was just this kind of lackadaisicalness toward like what I was doing and, and drama occasionally around it, and why would I stay? You know, like, why would I stay? And ultimately, it cost me to become an entrepreneur and do my own thing because no one will let me do what I want to do. And as soon as people open up to not being in control and having all the power, it'll change. But listen, that ain't going to happen anytime soon. Look at our politics in this country. Look at the world, bro, in general and how it operates. It ain't that simple to just wake up one day and be like, you know, this sales methodology that the rebellion has and that Dale Dupree did as the copier warrior is it's really successful. We should adopt it. That takes the power away, right? It uh, completely 
So people are afraid of it. It's kind of the bottom line. And so they do the same old thing because it keeps you in the status quo, keeps things whatever. And, you know, and ultimately, like I said, people, they're going to make sales still. They're just going to continue to ruin, (laughs) you know, the reputation of salespeople and sales organizations. But who cares? Because they got more money than they can count. But where is the meaningful impact, right? Where is the real legacy? Where are the where are the humans? And how loyal are they ultimately to the other one on the other side? Because ultimately what it comes down to for me when we're, we're treating tr- sales as a very transactional state is that it doesn't matter to somebody at some point, especially when they do something like leave the company and don't need it anymore. Like if you were to call and be like, hey, what's up? It's me, your sales guy. They'd probably laugh and be like, uh, why are you calling me? I don't buy stuff anymore. Like, oh, it's just saying, hey, oh, you're saying, hey, yeah. After all these years, you're just saying, hey, you're not trying to, you know, sneak one past or it's Friday at the end of the month or, you know, like that's how it looks. Ultimately, we don't think deep enough about our careers and the interactions that we have as salespeople with other humans. And because of that, there's this massive gap and there always will be. And we never push back. We say, oh, my boss doesn't really like me doing this weird marketing stuff. And so I'm not going to do it anymore. Bro, F that. For real. Like, start being a rebel. Some of the best salespeople I've seen have adopted like creative strategies and they hit quota or they're exceeding quota. And I still see sales managers go up to them and say, why haven't you hit your 55 emails of the month? You didn't hit that. You didn't hit one of your metrics. And it's like, dude, the dude hit 200% of quota. Why are you asking about that? Why can't you just say, good job? And what did you do that worked that we can adopt for the rest of the organization. It's just like so tied to these metrics that the work has. One question I have for you too is what is a sales hill that you would die on? This one. (laughs) I'll die on all of them, bro, that have anything to do with the legacy that we're leaving as salespeople. So I'll die on the hill that says that metrics aren't empty process in regards to ultimately developing and designing the type of outcome that a company really totally desires. Because look, right now, I think the average across the board for most companies, like if you take all the companies that are out there talking about how they have the best sales culture, I think somewhere in the 30 to 40% is like the actual quota attainment for those people. So here you have like very metrics driven organizations preaching metrics and pretending if it, as if somehow they are God and that they're the only way to truly have success. Yet the reps are at 30 to 40% of total quota attainment. I'll die on the hill where we talk about commissions being the most important thing in sales. Money is a byproduct of good service and service is, is ultimately servant leadership. As a sales rep, you have to understand that you're here to fix someone's problems and to actually care about fixing someone's problems. You're not here to sell your product and make a ton of money. Again, byproducts. Like, I'll die on that hill all day, bro. Like, and I'm a guy that made a ton of money and my sales career so far. And I, ain't, I don't plan to stop. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, the things that are really monetarily valuable for me are the relationships that I have. The ability to be able to, to like just call one person and say, I'm stuck. I need help. And then the idea that I can also call like another thousand on top of that person. That's where real success in lies. And that's where real value is ultimately. So, I mean, I could die on a lot of them, dude, at the end of the day. But I think ultimately I'll die on the hill of rebellion. I'll die on the hill of 
fighting back against the status quo and the mediocrity of what's, what sales has been preached to us as when it comes to it being normal. It's all a lie. It's all a stereotype. It's all to keep you in line, have you play by the rules, make sure that you don't cause too much attention to you, but instead to build my company, to get it to the place that I want to get it so I can leave and then be a founder for the seventh time somewhere else, right? That to me, like it's a bunch of garbage. And so I, I'll, I'll die of the hill rebellion all day because of that, which, you know, encompasses a lot of different, ultimately a lot of different topics. But I think that's what we need. We need people to not just focus on like one thing and why it's wrong. We need to focus on like what could be better. And we need to, to rebel and choose those things and run in that direction because the more of us that do it, the more it becomes normal. And one day the whole world. What is one thing you would say to someone starting out in sales today that they would come back to you, say two to three years later and thank you to say, thank you for telling, giving you that advice. I would, so I mentor professional sales programs at major universities. And so I, I actually do this. There's two things I would do and that I do. <laughs> the first is that I tell, I tell kids at a very young age, I say, I say, Hey, you know, your professor, your, the student faculty, like the people that are, that are here that are teaching you sales, they've told you that sales is hard, but I want to tell you that sales is the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. And the reason that you'll do it is because of that, because there's nothing greater than putting yourself in the position of doing something that is the hardest thing to do in your life and failing, but ultimately achieving success through that process. And so I, I 100%, I think that the problem in sales is just that we, what we sell is like, you'll make a lot of money. And all you got to do is just make these dials, right? We make, we dumb it down so ridiculously then all of a sudden 90 days in the sales rep is like sitting with their friends in tears going these guys told me like i'd make a hundred thousand dollars i just say to make calls and now they're telling me i'm not cut out for this and that sales is hard and you know it's like we reverse it because ultimately we don't want to tell people the truth so the first thing to do is to tell people the truth about sales to make sure it's something that ultimately they want to sacrifice and be in because that's what it is. It is constant sacrifice on a daily basis with one of the best fruit trees that bears the most incredible exotic fruit that you've ever tasted in your entire life. The second thing is, is that I would tell people that 90% of the way that people say a sales cycle is run is incorrect, whether it's bands or whether it's through the concept of something like spin selling. Not that these things are bad, right? I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that they're incorrect because people are abstract. And ultimately, because of that, if I try to run people through the same system over and over and over and over again, I'm robotically just going to get a yes uh, based on statistics. <laughs> like that's it, instead of actually achieving the things that I fully desire. So I would t I teach people and I would tell people and I do tell people, meet your buyer where they are. The number one principle inside of sales that nobody talks about. So somebody says, I'm not interested. We've got 6,000 different lines on how to tell them that they are interested, right? Or to keep them on the phone or to get some permission before I hang up. Can I do this? Uh, I tell people to say, cool and hang up like key and peel style, right? Like the telemarketer skit. If nobody's ever seen it, check it out. It's freaking incredible. Uh, I won't say anything more than that. You just got to watch it, but just say cool and hang up. And people were like, well, that's not a good strategy. And I'm like, no, it's not. But the point is, is that y'all just run rampant around this concept that somehow what you do works. 
instead of just accepting that this person's not interested in going, they're not interested because I didn't cause enough curiosity. I didn't invoke emotional context. I, I didn't interrupt the typical patterns. And so I have zero brain activity from this person, zero heart activity from this person. The only thing I am is indifferent to them. I'm another sales cog in the wheel and I have to get away from that. So teaching people essentially that what they've been told around the sales process and system is a lie and to meet people where they are is one of the most effective pieces of advice I believe that we can give to the upcoming generations. It's funny you say that because the other day I was on the call with AT&T to set up my internet in my new apartment. And I swear every single support person tried to upsell me to go to TV. And, and I kept saying no a thousand times and they kept doing it. And I'm, I said, I just want my internet set up. Let me do this first. And then I'll consider this later. And they kept saying, but we have this. And then they have this like pitch. Oh, you just got this free deal in the next call. It's like the same pitch. They would have just listened to me and just let me just do what I would a busy professional wanted to do in that time, I probably would consider it. Now I'm really annoyed that they kept me on the phone for an extra 10 minutes, not letting me just pay for internet. So it was, it just reminded me of that, of just like, I rather, rather than just said to me, Hey, cool. And would you mind me sending a couple of things about the internet package? If you're interested in doing it later, like I'd rather if that said that, then them continuously hounding me. Cause sometimes I get up and then I'm like, Oh, I now I have to go cancel it. And it's, it was bad. It's just frustrating, it's right? Ball. Like, what if that person was just straight up like, yo, does that mean you're using, you know, like, let's say it's a cable package, right? And they're like, you know, how about the HBO, whatever? And you're, and you're like, no. And they're like, oh, cool. Is that because you got an HBO Max subscription or Netflix or Hulu? Or like, if they sought to understand, if they sought to meet you where they were, it'd be such a different conversation. But that industry, bro, is the number one culprit for why people hate sales. Like one of the number ones, because look, like most people that are there are just told like, you're transactional. You don't matter. The only way that you'll get paid and make more money getting paid is by forcing people to do things like X. <laughs> that's how it works. And I don't care if that's inaccurate to a sales manager that's listening from AT&T right now. Because that's a garbage, it's a garbage thing that they teach and that I've witnessed firsthand and that most of them don't want us talking about. So we have to talk about it. And the last thing I have for you is where could people find the sales rebellion, where people could find you, where people could follow your journey. That's the last thing I have. Uh, sales rebellion everywhere. Sales rebellion the sales rebellion com. I love just typing it into Google and seeing what pops up. There's lots of articles. There's lots of podcast interviews with people like myself or other rebel coaches, um, our CEO, Jeffrey Viegas, right? There's a lot of thought out there that we're sharing on all social platforms. And it's at Sales Rebellion if you're looking on them. If you want to find me, it's at Dale Rebel Leader um, or just Dale Dupree. Like you can just type it in that way or like go to LinkedIn because I'm in there daily, sometimes a few times a day if I'm fired up. Uh, it's linkedin.com backslash IN backslash copier warrior, my original insignia. But Regardless, like, uh, come find us, like whether it's through our free, free Slack channel or it's through our content and come rebel with us. Cause we're looking for people that are interested, not in just buying our products and services, but interested in building better culture around the sales landscape. So whether you're a sales leader or you're a rep, that's 
you know, working to make it to the top. Like we want to support you, root you on and give you the tools necessary to help you find that success through rebellion. Well, this is awesome. If you guys want to take over or change sales, go check that out. I know as a marketer, I've seen a lot of bad sales, but I also love my fellow salespeople because they help close deals. They help do things that I wouldn't want to do. So I think there's a two-sided coin. I have a love-hate relationship with sales, but it's more that I hate people selling to me and I love the salespeople that I work with. So, Shout out to the salespeople you work with, bro. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.